Welcome to Risk Roundup. We all look for an outcome in our daily lives, daily activities and actions in what we do, what we produce, sell, purchase and desire. However, until recently, neither individuals nor the entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, had any direct control over most of the activities around them as they were forced to settle with what was available versus what was desirable. Across many nations, there is a growing trend that when individuals, consumers, clients and citizens buy or subscribe to any product now, they have begun to look at available products from a very different perspective based on an outcome that they desire. So what has changed the thought process and approach? What is creating this trend? Why is the desire for certain outcome gradually taking a center stage across nations? What has made this possible? The answer to all of these questions is technology. It is the advances in technology that has made this desire for an outcome a reality. To be specific, it is the, it is the internet of things and big data analytics solutions that are allowing nations a potential to create, frame, desire, acquire, sell and buy or subscribe to outcomes. While the potential to look for desired outcomes or to produce, sell, purchase or acquire desired outcomes brings a very fundamental change to the current technology, business, management and governance models across nations. The most important change is perhaps to the power that has come to individuals common citizens and human potential across nations. It is the individuals, common citizens that are in the driver's seat now and driving the move towards the outcome economy that is shaping up across nations. To discuss this further, I'm honored to welcome Joe Barkai, author of the book, Outcome Economy and the Internet of Things. Welcome Joe, we are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Hello, thanks to be here. Wonderful Joe. So there is a growing optimism that the outcome economy will fundamentally allow everyone to get more value for their money by giving them more direct access to the outcomes that they desire. Do you see that happening already? Yes, it is happening already. I think that it's a culmination of a number of trends. You referenced technology trends and indeed uh, communication, lower cost of computing, uh, instrumentation of platforms and devices all contribute to the Internet of Things that in fact empowers the individuals and drives companies to be able to give com uh, individuals better service, better uh, outcomes that pertain to their, um, to their business. But I think there's another factor here, which is really the tendency or the openness to look at new business models. Whereas in the past, we used to think about products as based on their specifications. I'm going to give you a perhaps a power generator that provides electricity. That was based on specifications. Whereas now, both individuals and companies and, and even governments, certainly local governments, are really focusing on the outcome. So instead of going back to my um, um, generator um, example, instead of giving you a generator, I provide you with, the, with electricity. I guarantee electricity. An example that I often use, and it's actually mentioned in my book, is the Renfe uh, Spanish rail system. So if you are on the train between Malaga, Madrid, and Barcelona, you have a guaranteed by the, by the uh, rail company that if the train is delayed by more than 15 minutes, 
you get full refund for your money. So from a customer perspective, I changed the contract with you, and I'm not guaranteeing you sit on a train. I guaranteed you a service that will get you to your destination within a designated amount of time. Now, this sounds like a losing proposition, right? Because if, if the train is late, we're going to pay the consumer back. However, what Renfe, the rail system, has done, it contracted Siemens, the manufacturer of the train system, and Siemens, in turn, provides guarantee for 99.99% availability. So now you're seeing that the, the, change, the value change, change the way it contracts with each, with each part of it, and each contract is based on what is relevant to the consumer. So Siemens provide uptime to the rail system. The rail system provides mobility and arrival on time to consumer. So the entire relationship of, this, of the value chain is changing. Yes, yes. So it seems and these are so much needed, you know, changes that we all uh, were looking for, you know, over the years that the, the consumers are in control and what benefits each and every individual that is, you know, taken into uh, focus now. That is ability to have desired outcomes is fundamentally transforming nations, as you just mentioned. I mean, the, everything is changing. The way we look at uh, uh, different, you know, models, different, you know, way of doing things, it's everything is changing. So from your perspective, where are we going? I think that we are going in this, in this direction. So the momentum towards providing a company, a consumer, a citizen with desired outcome uh, is going to grow, continue and grow and accelerate in some areas. This is not to say that all the old business models are gone, but I think we're going to see increase in interest in pursuing this direction. Having said that, and we talk about the accelerators, right? We talked about what drives the evolution, such as connectivity, such as um, uh, instrumentation of the rail system, perhaps, that I mentioned earlier. But with those come additional risks and responsibilities, such as data security, obviously. I often in my conversation about data security, I really want to talk about data privacy because this is a critical part of it. So we see competing forces, and I think that society is not completely ready for all these changes, but the changes is afoot and it will continue and accelerate. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, the technology is advancing at such a rapid pace and there are so many other variables, factors that has to grow with that technology. And we are not seeing the parallel growth in each of those areas. And change management is going to be a very important aspect of making sure, ensuring that you know all these amazing technological advances that we are seeing across nations, that we are able to benefit from that by having you know effective change management across nations, across these industries, organizations, academia. Now, how would the outcome economy change? How each or any individual nation or its government, industries, organizations, academia, and even individuals operate and function currently in not only the physical geospace, but in cyberspace and uh, hopefully in the coming years in the space, because this is all integrated now, Joe. Everything is integrated. So the outcomes that we are shaping up is shaping into a very different model. It's shaping into a totally from what we are used to over the years, it is coming out to be very, very different model. So how is this going to change each and every individual nation? Yes, and I, and I think that what needs to happen, what is happening very, very slowly, 
is the migration for thinking about technologies and connectivity to thinking about the value and the ecosystem that can provide the value. Most industries still, in a way, stuck in the technology level. So how we instrument devices and products, how we communicate, and then, of course, how we deal with security and privacy. So we, we understand that part of the process. We do not have as much progress. We've not made as much progress in the decision-making area, in the analytics, in the decision-making. And when you think about the analytics, how you combine these data structures, you really, and then you think about the outcome, of course, I think you come to realize that the value is often provided by an ecosystem rather than individual company or government. So again, the rail system, we have a, a small ecosystem between the Siemens, the manufacturer, Renfe, the provider of, of mobility, the train, the rail system, and the consumer. But if we use this thinking as a platform, the question would be what other services, what other information we can put on top of this platform to provide citizens and consumers and companies with better services, better value. Let me give you a quick example that in, in a way is, is low tech, but I think it exemplifies what the true value, what's the true potential value of IoT, industrial IoT, industrial internet of things. Uh, there's a movement of creating what I call digital vineyards, where vineyards, especially in Europe, are instrumented with sensors to measure um, uh, soil humidity, leaf wetness, things and temperature and so on, which makes a lot of sense because you can then drive irrigation schedule. So far, I think we're, we're, it's re quite reasonable. But then you say, let us put on top of this platform weather forecast. So if it's going to rain enough tomorrow, we shouldn't really irrigate today. But it's not, this is not the end of the story. Now, one of the vineyards that I, again, mentioned in my book, adds to this information uh, consortium, if you will, information about pests and diseases in vineyards, both theoretical database from um, university, indicating under what conditions certain pests uh, emerge. And as well as observations about local diseases and so on. So now you can actually forecast diseases in the vineyard. You can optimize the spraying schedule. And you do this only when the weather is right and it's not going to rain. So you improve the efficacy of the spraying and you reduce damage to the environment because you spray less. So the power is really in the ecosystem. It's not in the individual connected device or connected uh, product. Yes, that is that is so fascinating. I was reading. I mean, you gave some examples of the railroad that uh, if you if the train is late by you know more than fifteen minutes or something, then you get a, a refund. And uh, there are a lot of you know ch stories coming out like the benefits of IoT. You know how it's changing everything. I read that somewhere. I, I believe in some place in Europe, the theaters are charging, let's say it's a comedy show, then you know, they are saying that if you come and depending on how much you laugh, you will be charged for that. Because it's a comedy show, you are supposed to laugh. And if you are not laughing, that means that we are not effective in uh, delivering the uh, what we promised you that, you know, this is common and you will laugh. So this is absolutely amazing. You gave an example of that, you know, ecosystem, the vineyard, digital vineyard, that's, uh, that is a perfect example for that. Now, from what you have already seen across nations, can you share some examples of industries that are already benefiting from this, you know, new approach of providing services or uh, looking at uh, uh, outcomes? 
Yes, there are endless uh, stories, and I would like to come back to the example of the comedy club because it brings another thought into the conversation. But we talk about the rail system, we talk about the wine industry. Uh, at a more kind of heavy industry perspective, a very well-known story that is always repeated is Rolls-Royce providing power-by-the-hour service to the airlines. Typically, or in, the, in the old economy, uh, air, an airline will buy an airplane and an engine and will pay maintenance for the engine. So the terms of the contracts, going back to how we contract in the new economy-based uh, outcome-based uh, economy, the old contract was repair time. There is a failure, um, then we will guarantee that we will show up within two hours to repair it. That's interesting, but it's really not, it is, does not define the contract in the terms that the airline cares. The airline cares about time in the air. So uh, Rolls-Royce and other manufacturers of jet engine now offer power by the hour, uh, power, power by the hour in the for uptime. And so long as the airplane is in the air, the contract, is, the contract terms are being fulfilled and Rolls-Royce gets paid. If the engine is not on wing, it's not operating, then Rolls-Royce is penalized. So we change the model again and we contract each part of the value chain using their own terms, what is relevant, what they care about, and so on. But back, back to the theater, because I think it is a profound example, is that we still are we are still seeing too many, uh, I would say, use cases that are perhaps between um, interesting, but not very useful, to sort of somewhat ludicrous. And I think we tend to gravitate towards those, what I called eye candy. Very, very cute thing, but it does not have a long-term value. And I think in this regard, the industry is not matured enough to identify what are the real outcomes. What does the customer care for? Um, to, to quote uh, Professor Theodore Levitt from Harvard Business School, he said many years ago, people are not interested in, in having a quarter-inch drill bit. They're interested in quarter-inch holes. So we need to learn how to provide customers with holes rather than with hardware. Very true, very, very true. Now, it is believed that the outcome of a government, management, business, product or service will be very easy to quantify with the advances in Internet of Things. Now, this brings a whole new world of data determination drive that helps each and any, each and every individual or a decision maker make effective decisions across uh, nations. Now, do you see this, you know, exciting that current decision makers that we have so much data on hand and we will be able to make effective decisions going forward? As always, this coin has more than two sides, as it were. Um, of course, there's great opportunity in being able to get much more data, um, real time when necessary. Data, is, this, is, this combines multiple sources. Today, we tend to make decisions based on a fairly narrow stream of information. It can be very powerful, but very narrow. It's one aspect because this is the only channel I have. But now, as a service provider, whether it's a government or Rolls-Royce, I have information from multiple products, multiple individuals, multiple geographies, by time of day, by temperature, by income level, whatever I need to know. So the, the opportunity is great, but of course, it comes with, with difficulties. We already mentioned privacy. The more we know about citizens and, and how companies operate my, my product, the greater risk there is, or at least concern, uh, to privacy. But there's also some technology aspect to it, which is analysis of multiple data streams is not as easy as it sounds, because we do not have semantic standards. We don't have standards that allow me to compare data from different sources. 
I can look at the data stream. I can even probably understand different file formats, but I don't necessarily understand what the data means in the sense that am I comparing apple to apples? If I measure temperature, is it Fahrenheit or centigrade? Is it really temperature, absolute temperature, or difference from the last measurement? We don't have models that do that. Industries slowly evolve onto those, but I think that we are still behind that. And then the two topics, the security and privacy and semantic models go hand in hand because the more standards evolve and the more we use them and, re and reuse them, the better understanding uh, we'll have, maybe not better practices, but at least the better understanding we'll have of privacy concerns. Yes, yes. Now that balance, we'll have to be very careful, you know, managing that, you know, security, privacy, and the, you know, advances that we are uh, all looking forward to. But the true digital disruptors, it seems across nations, it's government, industries, organizations, and academia know that getting ahead in not just technology, is not just about technology or cost anymore. It is about delivering necessary value and results as we have been talking about the outcomes. So how are nations and all its components preparing for the outcome economy? Because if you look at, you know, all these nations, all these governments and uh, in the, I mean, industries, you see still much more advances, but the governments, they are still functioning just the same way they have been functioning all these years, you know, in the past. So from your assessment and, you know, observation, how are nations and all its components, that means government, industries, organizations, and academia, preparing themselves for this whole new outcome economy? I do not think that they have really a, a, a plan in mind. I think the nature of many of the kind of national organization governments, perhaps not academia, is very strong, is very federated, to use a positive word on it. And that really means that they don't really have um, a good structure that allows synthesis of different data and combination of data. Having said that, I think, referring to a point you made earlier, governments are aware of, of citizens becoming more informed, uh, both actively and, and retroactively searching for information and so on. So I think that the pressure, the implied pressure by informed citizens will drive more evolution. The areas where I see more preparation, but not so much internal as much as setting policies is in Europe. The European Commission is very active in trying to understand the long-term long trends of connectivity. And they set up some initiatives for academia, for industry, uh, for uh, telecommunication standards to drive a more unified approach to con a connected world. But I think that it's a bit of um, an early um, it's an early stage, but also, again, the European Com Commission is trying to drive the European policy as opposed to their own uh, government um, government policy. I think we should go back and look at, you know, e-government policies or, or initiatives 20 years ago and see what happened to them. The good news now is that the problems that e-government used to focus on, i.e. connectivity, are no longer a problem. In fact, I think that connectivity is becoming a commodity. Everything and everybody is connected, for better or worse. And therefore, those that continue to focus on connectivity will, will miss the train. The point, go beyond connectivity and think about the value of information. Um, and perhaps e-governments are still stuck in the connectivity stage. Yes, yes, that is that, that seems so. Now, this 
whole new approach of outcome economy brings an entirely new vision, ideas, innovations and opportunities for each individual and entity across uh, nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia. So what high impact opportunities do you see in work currently across nations that, you know, uh, from technology perspective or, you know, from uh, the outcome perspective that you see are shaping up that uh, citizens or consumers or clients or uh, individuals, any individual common uh, man would be able to benefit. What kind of opportunities are already in uh, work currently that would uh, excite them? So when I think about IoT, specifically industrial IoT in the global perspective, the first thing that comes to mind is supply chain. In both in terms of supplying um, components and parts to a product, but also selling and servicing products around the world. Um, the industrial IoT provides us opportunity for better supply chain vis visibility, tracking, and, and then this immediately brings another level of benefits around quality, about security, um, and, and about optimization of the entire processes. So we see that notions in manufacturing that are not very new, such as design anywhere, build anywhere, sell, sell and service anywhere, which is a goal of many global becoming much, much easier because the entire supply chain is instrumented and connected. Yes, yes. Now, everything across NGIOA in CGS, that means cyberspace, geospace, space, is getting interconnected and interdependent, as you have been mentioning and we have been talking in the last few minutes. Now, Internet of Things is fundamentally connecting individuals and entities across NGIOA and CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and fundamentally transforming their very way of life. Now, while this brings many new opportunities for not only individuals, but also entities across nations, it also brings us many critical security risks. What risk do you see to the current model of uh, nations because of the IoT, Internet of Things, and outcome economy? You know, I'm often asked about security. Um, and very, very frequently, I would not, I would almost refuse to answer the question. Not because the question is not important, it is important. But the issue about security, as well as privacy, they really go hand in hand, is really not an IoT problem. IoT may perhaps underscore um, the problem and highlight the issues. But organizations and governments have to really develop a very strong policy and technology to protect data and protect security, uh, security and protect privacy. So it's really not an IoT problem. But it's true that as everything and everybody gets connected, the exposure is much greater. And the control over who owns the data is, is much, uh, much more complex. Or the question who owns the data is complex and then controlling the ownership. I think it's one of those things that will continue to trouble us. Uh, and we should really not think about this in the context of IoT. In other words, I do not think that we should put the burden of solving it on IoT companies. I think we need to solve it at a very fundamental level, and only then do we want to say, let's apply this to IoT. But as we said earlier, part of the effort is developing better standards, communication standards, data security standards, but also data handling standards. So policies around data ownership uh, are required. And right now, we are really in an area where we're not quite sure in some instances who owns the data. 
Um, a good example would be connected cars. Cars collect a lot of data that transmit data between the car and the manufacturer in the future between the car and other service providers. And the question is still open in many instances, who owns the data? And under what circumstances? There's the ongoing data, um, which perhaps is one question versus a car that was in, involved in a crash. Who then owns the data? Who has the right to request the data? What is the process to allow one authority or otherwise to use uh, the data? Open questions. Sure, sure. No, that, that is one aspect definitely, Joe, that uh, we, we cannot look for security from IoT companies. While we do look for secure, uh, security-centric uh, fundamental uh, infrastructure that when they are designing, you know, defining uh, their models, their technology, that we hope that, you know, in the architecture phase, that the security is taken into consideration. But there is also another aspect of security, Joe, is the strategic security. As this new technology comes up, as these new models, new way of doing things shapes up across nations, across its industries, uh, government academia, the current models, everything is at risk. And that they their security, if you look at the healthcare industry, the kind of changes that are shaping up, if you look at the energy industry, if you look at uh, the consumer retail industry and uh, across nations, their models are changing, everything is changing. So the current businesses, the current industries, their way of doing things, not, their security is at risk. So their level of preparedness matters a lot that needs to be looked into that how are they preparing themselves if any business who which is the probably a fortune 100 company right now and they're very established they're very happy that their business is doing great and if they don't look at all these you know new models that are shaping up and they don't look at their strategic security risk then before they know these new models will you know outplace them and their business will no longer be viable. So those strategic security risks also plays a very important role. And that is perhaps, you know, a bigger risk, bigger security risk to each and every business industry and models and products and services that are out there across nations. So that needs to be, you know, very, that needs to be the focus of uh, security uh, community because it is not just the security privacy that is here at uh, stake which everyone talks about but the strategic security risk where the businesses products services models could be you know uh, outdated as you know these new advances new way of doing things shapes up uh, now this digital economy seems to be leading towards the outcome economy uh, as we have been talking about that is uh, the results or the consequence of an action. Now, these outcomes are now, now quantifiable thanks to the uh, data analytics and Internet of Things, making pretty much everything quantifiable. This helps bring accountability in every action and decision that every decision maker takes. Now, nations and any of its components is not used to be held accountable for their actions and decisions so far, especially governments, especially a lot of you know business uh, decision makers uh, at the highest level. So what resistance you expect in certain key components across nations as these you know picks up and uh, everything becomes quantifiable? So, so we, we should really look at this from maybe two large um, in two large communities or areas, government versus 
uh, commercial and private sector. So the letter um, may be resisting it, but understanding that the only way to be competitive is to compete on what the customer cares about, which is the outcome. So uh, some are faster to follow, others are slow. Uh, but you see very large organizations, we mentioned Rolls-Royce, General Electric, Siemens, they're all following this model because it's, it gives them a way to compete much more effectively, much more efficiently. So I, I'm not worried that this will happen. Um, um, on the government side, you're right. Uh, governments are not used to be held accountable. They are not uh, used to this level of, of uh, transparency. But I think that the power of the citizen eventually will probably start driving some examples. Um, I, I think it will be much slower in some economies and some geographies. But I think that, the again, the on the product side or the services side, I have no doubt this is moving forward. And yes, it comes with the responsibility. The transparency brings responsibility, uh, exposes business risk potentially, but at the same time, it makes the business so much more efficient and allows companies to compete in ways that were never able to compete before. Because as we said earlier, we move the competition from specifications to business outcomes. So it's not my product is a little bit faster than yours or mine is, is you know can lift more, but rather I give you a better service the way that you understand service. And again, service can be mobility, can be electricity, can be halls, can be um, air, air transportation. We are really changing the conversation altogether. Yes. And it's happening, it's really happening very fast. Yes, yes. And now in an outcome economy, as I have been talking about the strategic security risk, basically any entity across any any business, government, academia, any entity across NGIO will be selling solutions and results rather than just products and services. Now, while this is a very positive transformational change and we all want this change to be fully effective, it does impact the current product and services as I just you know talked about a few minutes ago. And it's it not only the product services, but the business models, governance models, management models, any survival and sustainability. So what would be its impact from your perspective in the coming years? So the, the, as you suggested, the impact will be total transformation of the business. It'll be a different way of doing business. It'll be a different way of designing products because now a product design really needs to have this outcome model built into it. So slowly we'll see this influencing how products are even designed and how supply chain are structured. But it's an important point to, to discuss here because this is also one of the factors that slow down the adoption. So, so thus far you and I talked about what's exciting and what's happening. In reality, the progress is mitigated. It's gated by some factors. Some of them are, are the architecture um, factors. Some, very profoundly so, is concerned about privacy. When you talk to executives of IoT companies about why they are not adopting the, the business model, whether you are a seller or, or a consumer of information and end services, security comes up very, very high as a concern. But when you think about product design and manufacturing industries and, and large enterprises, the cadence of change is much, much slower, not only because they are old and stodgy companies, some are, but it's really about the, the natural cadence of industry. We don't release cars that fast to the market. We're not building new airplanes. Other products have very, very slow natural cadence. To use an example, the average age of industrial equipment in the US is about 15 years. By the way, the average 
age of a car in the US is 12 and a half years and it's getting older. That really means that we need to wait or follow the natural cadence of product exchange, product refresh before we can see the impact. Furthermore, going back to some of the fundamentals we discussed earlier, the power of IoT is in the ecosystem, right? In the collaboration of the ecosystem. So it takes time to build the foundation to get the ecosystem partners together to provide the value. Yes, so, exactly. so there's a slow cadence of, of evolution that will happen and is happening, but this explains why we're seeing some very interesting success and exciting stories and very little outside of that space. Yes, very true. And uh, as you said, collaboration in the ecosystem is going to become the key, you know, as we go forward. And it's believed that in the outcome economy, the new leaders will be those that can consistently collaborate within and across its uh, boundaries, serious boundaries to deliver excellence across a spectrum of capabilities that include not only hardware, but also solutions. So what challenges do you see delivering solutions that requires large scale collaboration across, you know, the geographical boundaries in cyberspace, geospace and space? Well, the, the answer is in the question. The collaboration part is difficult. Okay because it's about changing multiple business multiple companies changing business model working together sharing information and data in ways that they were never doing before uh in a way bringing competitors together in ways that they're not used to so all these things will will be the challenge for companies uh and i'd like to tie this question and answer to other factors we discussed earlier about standards and and security because if we say that the nature of an IoT solution, one individual family of solutions, is an ecosystem that by its nature is dynamic. You onboard partners, you offboard partners. It's about openness, it's about collaboration and creating new values. But that really means that unless we have standards, if we could have standards, the, the process is very fractured and dangerous in terms of risk and privacy because we're not really using the same approaches to, to managing information. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that the opportunity is really great. The excitement and the potential is in the fact that we have a sort of a loose federation of companies. That's the good news. But as always, if we're talking about loose federation of companies that come from very, very different backgrounds, some provide the hardware and the connectivity, other provide geospatial information, other provide mobility. Um, not only are they not used to working together, we don't have common business models and common data management structures and potentially issues around privacy. Yes. Yes. Now, by integrating Internet of Things with existing technological capabilities such as cloud-based software analytics, visualization technologies, artificial intelligence, and increased uh, cloud computing cap uh, capabilities, a new level of insight and control is possible. Now, can you share some real-world examples based on your observation? Because with the cloud computing capabilities, high performance, you know, this uh, where we can reach is just, you know, depends on your imagination how far you want to reach. So can you uh, share some real-world examples that you are already seeing, you know, across nations? Yes. I think that all the examples that we discussed thus far, in a way, are cloud-based. The cloud is not the key component, but it's the one area. Uh, it's the platform that combines the different data sources. So in the, the example of the rail system, it's somewhat of a uh, closed system because it's primarily Siemens. Um, Rolls-Royce is the same. So in a way, those companies exemplify the solution, at least for a while, 
where companies are using um, private or, or hybrid cloud to manage this information. I'm not seeing yet open platform that people can sign on and sign off. I think it's, it's happening. Um, I think that in parallel to the interest in IoT, there is growth in understanding and, and openness to adopting commercial clouds, you know, Microsoft and, and, um, and um, Amazon and so on. And those companies, Microsoft, Amazon, and so on, also provide um, APIs, application programming interfaces, and other methods to join the cloud. And again, allow companies to offer services, to consume services, provide information, etc. cetera. Um, we still need some governance mechanism to manage those organizations and those orchestrations. Right now, I think we're still in the very early process. So the solutions, even though we talk about them as IoT platform, tend to be fairly, fairly narrow. They are very meaningful, so I'm not for a second saying they're not important. They're somewhat um, narrow focused, um, and, and they're they not open for anyone to join and, and so on. But I think that, again, as we develop the business models, as we mature the orchestration processes, as we apply more analytics and machine learning towards new solutions, we'll see more openness to that end. Um, I think that we're probably five or 10 years before we see this explosion on the market. I see, I see. I, uh, now for the emerging outcome economy, entities across NGIOA can use IoT hardware to, dif uh, to differentiate themselves competitively and to enter new markets. And with also cloud computing, it does not matter what part of the world you know anyone wants to you know create some new innovations based on the uh, technology that has been developed either in the united states or you know any any other advanced country because those will be available uh, through the clouds now how is this competition shaping up from your perspective and assessment which nation leads the competition at this point hmm. that's always an interesting conversation about competition between <laughs> nations and, and continents yes. um, I, I would I would define it as such. The the areas where the, there's most activity in IoT in terms of commercial application, not in academia, is uh, North America, specifically the US on one hand, and then Europe, where in Europe Germany absolutely leads um, leads the, the movement, uh, as it were, uh, in industrial IoT. They like sometimes to call it um, Industry 4.0, referring to the fourth. Um, industrial revolution and i know we don't have time to discuss it but my book talks about the fourth industrial revolution so germany certainly is leading this conversation in the us uh, here but it's worth noting that we, we are seeing very different approaches very different um, models to the evolution in the us is typical uh, to the us economy it's very much entrepreneur based and in startups and so on so you see a lot of activity in startups and as always um, high level of activity in startups will lead to consolidation and lots of failures. Where I'm not going to call this a bubble, but we will face a time where the IoT is just going to blow in, in the face of some companies, especially those companies that we discussed earlier that focus on connectivity. Companies that focus on sensor technology, connectivity, and so on are going to be left behind unless they know to either provide higher levels outcome-based solutions, or they partner with the right company. Yes. Uh, in, Europe, in Europe, the process is a little bit different because it's really governed and, and influenced and, and encouraged by the European Commission. So European Commission has a long-term view uh, about where they want to see, the, especially the industrial IoT, so they drive 
academia, they drive industry, they drive partnerships along a certain path. And neither approach is better. Actually, they're very complementary. So I enjoy, I work on both sides of the, the ocean and I really like to work with both approaches. The long-term structure approach, which tends to be slow and bureaucratic, and the Silicon Valley approach, which is very fast, but also fails very, very fast. I see, no good assessment there. Now, today, smart data-powered gadgets can do everything from reminding people that it's time for their daily workout to crunching their workout or how much calorie intake uh, uh, you know, they are having or helping them set a goal, appropriate diet and exercise program and so many you know, other uh, areas. Now, humans are getting technologically dependent more and more as you know, they uh, progress is, as with each day, you know, uh, new advances happening in technology. What role you see technology playing in human potential, survival and sustainability if humans keep getting so dependent on technology in the coming years? It's, it's again, it's one of those, it depends. Um, I think that we can see technology helping a lot. Um, think about the elderly, uh, people who live alone, people who need help and reminders about their medication. And, you know, many of the examples, uh, the, I talked earlier about those kind of silly IoT examples. So there's always this story about the refrigerator, talking to the toaster, say, don't start the toast because we don't have butter, send you an email to go to the toast stop by you know, the store on the way home to get butter. This is kind of cute, there's no true value. But for each one of those frivolous scenarios, there's a very good scenario within the same realm that talks about real need. And again, this could be um, reminding an elderly, elderly person to take the medication and say, actually don't eat this because this will slow down the absorp absorption of this supplement you're taking. So it's all a matter of how we use the technology. It's not, technology itself has very little influence here. It's how we use the technology. And we, we will choose, we, we have the option to use it uh, in a very positive way. So encourage workout, help the elderly. Well, you know, with the aging population, we'll have more and more people living alone at home. So connected homes and connected health is tremendous opportunity. Now, if we choose to just play video games and Pokemon Go, I mean, that's, that's, that's somebody's choice. Yes, yes, that is true. Now, let's talk about Internet of Things specifically, which is at the heart of this whole outcome economy and the connectivity that gives us an ability to quantify outcomes. Now, where is IoT being used so far to achieve measurable outcomes from your observation? Mm -hmm. So we mentioned the, the rail system would be one good example. Rolls-Royce, Pratt & Whitney in the aerospace, um, aerospace sector, they provide, again, um, lift power, if you will, and they get paid for sustaining that level of performance. Um, we talk about the vineyards. Um, another example might be, again, going back to Siemens, where actually Siemens manages their entire operation, especially um, wind turbines, centrally. So the model is really now all the wind turbines are connected, which means you can monitor their performance. You can understand failures in advance sometimes. You can um, alert technicians about a failure or a potential failure before time comes. The technician that may have to travel to the job site to do their, their, their task is already knowledgeable as far as what is the configuration of this piece of equipment, what tools they need to take, are they certified to work on this product, so we're seeing this in, in, in multiple areas. If I had to 
choose high-level areas of success, commercial, proven commercial success, would be around service and maintenance. This is the number one application for IoT. And I really have to say that it's, it's somewhat frustrating at times because it's probably one of the few, if not the only, well-fleshed-out application of IoT. And, and many others are really just in the beginning of, of getting the maturity, the level that you and I are discussing, such as what is the outcome, how you measure it, who cares about it, who is willing to pay for it. Okay. Very true. Now, you have been talking a lot about the ecosystem, uh, you know, to make this outcome economy possible, the Internet of uh, Things and its ecosystem. Now, from your perspective, and the reality that we see across nations, how does the IoT supply chain works, you know, effectively to make outcome economy possible? Because it's just not what one individual company does or what uh, one individual, uh, you know, industry does to make certain outcomes possible. A whole uh, IoT supply chain has to work across, you know, sectors. And sometimes, you know, probably across nations also. So from your perspective, how does that IoT supply chain work and the connectivity, how does it work to make this whole outcome economy possible? You're absolutely right. To make the outcome economy possible, we have to have collaboration among partners and along supply chain, in fact, along multiple supply chains, because again, the supply chain will shape itself maybe dynamically based on the outcome, right, on the business model. And if we say that outcome is very customer specific or need specific, that really means we as a single company provide different product, different service products to multiple companies. So all of a sudden I do not have one product in one supply chain, but multiple products with multiple supply chains and partnerships. This is the big question for all companies. How do you compete in this space? Uh, and the, the winners and the losers will, will be determined there, not again, connectivity and sensors. So companies are really open-minded in a way and, and understand that they now focus on customer outcomes will open up and, and partner very aggressively, especially or in addition, they will compete with their previous uh, competitors, I'm sorry, their partner with the competitors to deliver the service. This is still happening. There's no one model, but this will determine who is going to be the, the winners and losers uh, in the IoT space. Yes, yes. No, the, the culture of collaboration is not there, you know, Joe, and that is going to be a big challenge because people are entities or, you know, businesses or even individuals, they're not used to working collectively and collaborate, you know, and it, it, we see the same problem in risk management also. Right now, you know, the framework that is shaping up to manage the cybersecurity risk, while the, you know, government advises that public-private partnership, you know, they should work together, there is no... Uh, culture that would allow them to work together or there is no framework by which you know that incentive is there that would you know give a desire for any individual entity across uh, you know nations or across industries or even within a sector or any industries also working together that it, it is just not there and that was the whole purpose of why i wrote that book you know ngioa at risk where uh, we say that you know everybody is at risk and this is the time in a digital global age we all have to work collaboratively you know to make uh, to survive and to you know sustain and to succeed in this digital global age and we also put together this digital uh, this cyber security risk management framework where we give us framework of integrated ngioa governance 
model, risk management model that would allow individual independent risk to be managed. At the same time, it also gives a framework to allow interdependent, interconnected risk to be managed effectively. So there are a lot of things that still needs to go forward to make this effective and a reality. Uh, outcome economy is an amazing vision. And uh, uh, we hope that, you know, everyone uh, sees that vision that you know what benefit it would bring to not only their individual uh, initiatives and you know businesses industries but their entire nation and the humanity you know if you look at it you know from overall perspective so uh, it, there's a lot of work that needs to be done but what uh, there's also another point uh, that people say that iot allows automation and that's what it is in a lot of perspective uh, different perspectives so how does out automation play a role in outcome economy from your perspective that's uh, something else i would like to talk about of course so yes automation is really part of the iot because the assumption is if we have a product that is remotely connected and accessible and it has onboard capabilities to be governed to be controlled uh, to be started stopped uh, for the software to be updated this by definition we can automate many processes that were previously um, human-centric or and or requires someone to travel to the point of service. But in a way, and then I talk about this sometimes when I talk about digi the digital transformation, I, I talk about multiple levels of transformation. So in a way, automation, as it is, uh, it's in the very, very first level. Automation is really part of, it's becoming an innate part of many products. And as we said earlier, it's becoming easier and easier, and therefore it will be more uh, popular, more common to see because again, onboard computing power is cheaper and inaccessible. Connectivity is free in many cases and it's sufficiently within reason secure and so on. But again, automation is really one part, one is a very basic level of that. Above that, you really you have the ability to augment human decisions with machine based information. So, automation but augmentation of decision making is the next level. And this is where the power comes in. You now take devices that are by and large automated, but they provide feedback, they provide information to the back office or to the individuals or to other instruments perhaps. And they augment and improve the ability of, of humans to interact with them and reach better decisions. Yes. Now, it is, to make the outcome economy possible, I mean, Internet of Things and connectivity plays a central role as we have been talking about. But a physical sensor is not a machine. It doesn't do anything in the same sense that a machine does. It measures, it evaluates, it gathers data. The Internet of Things really comes together with the connection of sensors and machines and the uh, analytical uh, capabilities. Now, that is to say that the real value that the Internet of Things creates is at the intersection of gathering data and leveraging it. All the information gathered by all the sensors in the world isn't worth anything if there is not any infrastructure in place to analyze it in real time. Do we have the infrastructure in place, Joe? So you're right that the value is in the data. I often say the value is not in the conduit, but in the content. So we, we have established that connectivity is a commodity and, and we don't really need to worry much about it. The value is in the content. And, and we do not have we don't do not always have the ability to extract the real value from the data, as we discussed earlier. The challenge is is, is analyzing multidisciplinary data, data that comes from disparate devices, different businesses, different 
part of the world, as it were. Um, so the problem is not so much the infrastructure as in maybe storage or computing power. These are, I think, again, becoming sufficiently available and commoditized that I would not worry about them. My concern, or I think the challenge, is really about multidisciplinary disciplinary analysis for analysis for better decision making. So going back to the discussion we just had, there's automation, there's augmentation, there's analysis. And the analysis is where the power, uh, where the value of IoT is being realized. Right, right. Now, your book, Joe, The Industrial Internet and the Outcome Economy, can you share with our global viewers and listeners what it is about, what, what it, you know, talks about, and uh, where, if they are interested, how they can go, where they can go and purchase that book? And uh, also, can you uh, tell us about uh, why our global viewers and listeners, they should read that book if they want to understand where the internet, what are the internet of, uh, things and you know how it is at the center of the outcome economy and how wherever they are located, our viewers and listeners in the world, how they can understand that and come up with some ideas and innovations that they can help uh, you know in shaping up uh, the outcome economy that each nation is competing towards today of course we'd be happy to so the best way to answer the question is to tell you what i did not want to write about why i wanted to write the book and what i decided not to write about so the area that on purpose i said i do not want to cover is again the the common daily daily conversation about iot i.e sensors and connectivity and security and even though I make, again, the comment is security is important, but it's not uh, a fundamental problem of IoT. It's a foundational problem of any enterprise in every nation. So I did not want to write about sensors, about connectivity. What I wanted to do is to really describe the outcome economy and the thinking about the outcome economy and then how the IoT supports the outcome economy. So I cover some history to explain the fourth industrial revolution, not so much although I'm interested in the historical perspective, is really understand what is the difference about this revolution that was not, did not happen in previous revolutions. Not unlike other revolutions, there'll be some risk and damage. So, you know, in the second and third industrial revolution, people lost jobs and they're probably gonna lose jobs again as, as bad as it, it sounds, but there may gonna be many more opportunities. But what is very interesting about the fourth industrial revolution is that for the first time, perhaps we know the outcome, or we think we have a vision of the outcome before the revolution has started, or while we're in the revolution. Whereas previously, we always looked at this in hindsight to try to understand what had happened. So I covered this a little bit. But most of the book talks about examples of companies who implemented outcome economy-based solutions. Uh, so we talk about Siemens and Renfe and the digital vineyards and other companies that have done this already. So my point was to show the reader, to help the reader see that there are useful, meaningful use cases can replicate maybe in their business. Um, and, and then I wanted to touch upon some questions that we tend to not think much about, such as how do we um, define the benefits? How do we provide benefit analysis and return investment analysis uh, on IoT? Because it's not as easy as it sounds. The investment, the time horizon to see value is too long for many companies to adopt this. So I offer a perspective based on some research done here in Boston College about how to approach financial analysis of IoT. One, one last point about the book, as far as what is not in the book, 
Uh, often conversations in IoT are around architecture, you know, the cloud and the edge computing. There's a tendency to suggest that all computing power has to be pushed to the edge, which I disagree with. Um, and I, but I did not want to make the book very kind of technology heavy. It was more for managers than for technologists. So I define a taxonomy of connected devices, smart connected devices, but I put this in the appendix. For, the, for those readers who really want to think some more about the taxonomy, but I do not want this to get in the way of the business side. So I, in, the, in the taxonomy section, I talked a little bit about the center versus the edge. What are the pros and cons and putting these devices in the cloud or at the edge? Uh, and it talks about computing, it talks about decision-making, talks about privacy because, or, or security. The more devices that are smart and connected you put at the edge, the greater the risk of hacking is. And, and I offer a way to classify those and allow the reader to say, okay, in my solution, in my space, with my ecosystem, here's my architecture and it's really distribution of computing power as opposed to it's either pure cloud or pure edge computing. So that's kind of in a nutshell the book. Uh, it's on Amazon and it's called The Outcome Economy, How the Industrial Internet of Things is Transforming Every Business. And I'd love to have a conversation with your viewers and listeners about it. Yes, definitely. And I, I strongly recommend that, that uh, you know, people should read this book because it will give them a whole new idea about where the world is going, what kind of changes are coming and what kind of solutions are uh, need, necessary to be able to reach where uh, we want to reach as a nation, as an industry, as an entity. So I hope that all of our global viewers and listeners uh, take this opportunity and read this book and uh, communicate with uh, Joe directly on Amazon. Through uh, website and uh, all other areas uh, on the social network and I hope that uh, they get the meaning of the book for which uh, uh, Joe has written in uh, spent so much effort to write this book so thank you Joe for writing that book and thank you so much for participating in risk roundup and sharing your ideas your understanding and uh, your seeing your vision and uh, seeing the observation across nations of, of how this outcome economy is shaping up so thank you so much for that Thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Wonderful, Joe. Now, the outcome economy is obviously a good thing for all individuals and entities across NGIOA as it makes it easier for everyone to get the outcome that they actually want. Getting to that point, however, requires each individual and entity across NGIOA to navigate some very complex technological, ethical, privacy and security challenges about data and user tracking. The true digital disruptors Across nations, it's government, industries, organizations, and academia know that getting ahead is not just about technology or cost anymore. It is about delivering necessary value and results and to provide solutions and outcomes. It is important to understand and evaluate how nations and all its components, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia, are preparing for the outcome economy. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and to discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also the coming technological super convergence. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, 
risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two all three concepts feed into each other we believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations tradition becomes our security so if you build a culture of managing risk effectively it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace let's manage the existing and emerging risk together for more information on the risk roundups to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast please go to riskupalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share until next time i'm jayshree pandya host of risk round signing off see you next time thank you